0: Everyone, this is the Controller Disconnected Podcast. I am your host, Matthias Carnero. It's been a while since we talked movies in the show, so I'm going to do that today. It's totally not because I haven't finished playing the game that I want to talk about next. Not at all. So, I watched some Robert Altman movies in the past month, and I liked them all quite a bit. And I think they merit some discussion on their own similarities, even though they're quite different from each other on a bigger scale. So, get your popcorn ready, and put your controllers down today! This is the Film Gauntlet! Like the previous time, I'll keep any potential spoilers to a minimum and only vaguely talk about the plot and storylines. Even if you still want to stop listening after this warning, or you already know everything about these movies, I recommend you watch them anyway. First up is Nashville, released in 1975. Now, after years in the making, Robert Altman brings yeah, the big screen along the way to Nashville to Memphis, with 24, term, 24 of your go very go favorite stars: David Arkin, Barbara Bach, Matt Badey, and Nashville, and the fabulous performances love love of Karen Black, Ronnie Blythe, Timothy Brown, and. This all started when I saw a discussion about Altman in the Discord server that I'm in. Someone was looking for places to watch this and the next movie on this episode, and I helped them out. Afterwards, I thought I might as well watch them myself. Nashville seemed the most interesting on the bunch because it was about country music and set at around the peak of its general popularity. That's what I think, at least. Most of the country artists that I know are from that era or thereabouts. People like the Ronstadt, John Denver, Dolly Parton, Kenny Rogers, and Willie Nelson to name a few off the top of my head. So the film isn't just fixated on the industry side, and uses it more as a backdrop for setting more personal dramas. And it also makes use of the greatest Robert Altman signature, at least on these three movies that I watched, the ensemble cast. There isn't one single protagonist in these movies, and the characters' stories get crisscrossed in some way or another at various points. And all three also have a big establishing sequence so we get to know all the characters that will play a part in the movie, which saves the fuss of having to introduce them separately over the course of the running time, and is much more efficient because of that. Back to Nashville, the film starts off hot with a parody of those compilation albums that they used to sell on TV, listing all the actors in the film. I'm glad I watched enough of the Archive to catch the reference. There's a presidential race going on and the candidate Hal Philip Walker goes to Nashville for a fundraising campaign and his associates are trying to get country superstar Haven Hamilton and country darling Barbara Jean to play on stage for them. There's also Opal, an English woman recording a documentary about Nashville for the BBC, Winifred, an aspiring country singer who doesn't actually show up that much, but then has a key role at the end of the movie, the folk trio of Tom, Bill, and Mary, and many more that I won't be listing because we would be here forever. There are many threats to follow in the movie, from romantic troubles, power struggles aspirations and dreams, all coming back together for one unifying event at the end. Kind of like a bookmark, starting and ending the film with everyone in the same place. All the characters have pretty clear motivations, so it's easy to follow who's who and what they're after once you've memorized each one. This is a personal thing, but I can't do ensemble movies very well because I struggle to record people's names right away, so I'm left with just remembering what they look like and what they're doing. Like, oh, that's the country singer guy, or that's the gospel singer with the deaf children, and so on. That, along with the fact that the country pyramids didn't turn out to be as interesting as it looked from the outside and the long runtime of the movie, which is more of a pacing issue than anything, made me enjoy the film a little less, but nothing stands out that's particularly bad. It's overall a very competently made production. The music is also great, which should be a given in a movie about music. Looking back on it, I like it more after letting it settle on my mind for some time and better reflecting on its strong points, so I can highly recommend it for all the movie watchers listening. Next is Shortcuts, released in nineteen ninety three. So virtual reality is practically totally real, but not. I'm gonna like somebody. Where you going, Yet another ensemble cast on play, but this one has no real special backdrop. They all live in Los Angeles and are more akin to normal people who do normal people jobs. So this will probably be more relatable to some moviegoers. Of course, some of the characters are sociopaths, or at least do rather unconventional things and that keeps the story a bit more fun. The movie is actually inspired by short stories from Raymond Carver, but it changes the setting from the Pacific Northwest to Los Angeles. The movie begins with another sprawling sequence introducing the characters one by one, as helicopters fly dropping insecticide against madflies. I thought this was setting up to be some sort of fictional disease backdrop, but no, turns out medflies are actually a real thing that can wreak havoc on crops. There was actually a problem about it in California in 1989, so if anything, the movie just keeping me up with the trends in the time of this fact. Anyway, the characters come from many different backgrounds varying from rich yuppies, to high middle class families, and a couple living in the trailer park. Like Nashville, the characters all intermingle at some points and it was fun trying to think in what ways they get together next and being surprised at their interactions. There's also a fine degree of cringe humor at seeing the mother work as a phone sex operator while changing the diapers of her child. I mean, what else can you do while watching that situation? And there's also the group of guys who go out fishing only to find that there's a dead body on the river they're at, and then they just keep on fishing. Eh, yeah, I'll I'll leave it up to you to judge that. (laughs) This movie is actually longer than Nashville, clocking in at just over three hours, but it felt shorter to me. Maybe it was because it spent less time focusing on certain characters, so it would jump from scene to scene more quickly, or I just liked them better than the ones from Nashville, but I thought it had a better pace flowing. And don't even think of telling me you can't stand long movies. I know most of you probably watched Avengers Endgame without leaving the theater for a bathroom break, and you're also more than capable of binging entire TV show seasons in a single night. Anyway, this is the best of the three movies that I'll be talking about, so this is very highly recommended. Last up is Gosford Park, released in 2001. At the country house of Sir William McCordle, the guests are wealthy. If I wanted coffee, I'd have rung for it. He thinks he's God Almighty. They Privilege. Ooh, yum. What's she like to work for? She's a snobbish cow. Famous. But Mr. Wiseman's very odd. Apparently, he produces motion pictures. Hello, I'm Morris Wiseman. Who? Yet another ensemble cast. But this time, they're all gathered in the same place, a high-class country house in England, after which the movie is named. They're all enjoying themselves until one of them is murdered. So this is a whodunit mystery movie, which I'm sure will already drive many people to watch it before I'm even finished talking about it. And for those of you who stayed, let me give you more reasons to watch it. This movie has two sets of characters who all convene in the same place but still separate from each other. There are the wealthy, posh people who sleep in the big, nice bedrooms and talk about dumb, posh stuff while drinking wine during dinner, and their servants who are only around whenever they require their services, otherwise they still in the quarters below stairs doing the housekeeping, cooking, cleaning, and etc, and gossiping things about their masters to each other. The servants are obviously my favorite side of the bunch, as you may have gathered from my brief opinions on the rich people, but it's actually rather interesting seeing the drama they get themselves involved in, be it about money, sex, courtship, or duck shooting. That's not to say there aren't any hidden intentions for the servants though, they also have their own share of mysteries and secrets to keep. The main difference of this movie when compared to the previous two is that there seems to be one main character to attach yourself to. Unlike the others where they get all mixed up at different points since in this movie everyone is together from the start, it works better to have one of the people as a guide of sorts. That's what Kelly MacDonald's character is for, she's one of the newest servants and so we get to learn through her eyes how the customs work. She's part of the audience in a sense, we are both instructed at the same time. This is the shortest movie of the bunch at about 2 hours and 20 minutes in length, so it's the one that flies by the most quickly. And for the reasons I just stated, it's also the easiest to follow, so if you're looking for something more breezy to dip your toes into Robert Altman's filmography, this should be the best choice for you. Also, somewhat ironically, this was actually the first movie I watched out of the ones in this review, but I decided to talk about them chronologically to compare how the director's formula would be changed as time went on. It appears to me that they get less complicated with each title, so maybe Altman learned some refinements from all his experience. All in all, this is a fine batch of movies that are all equally great. I skirted around most of the plot points so you hopefully watch them with the freshest of eyes, but I hope I wasn't too vague and kept you from understanding what they're about. As for me, I don't think I'm done with Altman just yet. I think I'm gonna watch The Players soon. You know, the one with the long single take shot in the opener? And before cutting to the outro, if you want to hear more of my opinions on movies without waiting for me to make another one of these episodes in the next Blue Moon, you should follow me on Letterboxd. My username is Skellingtor, S-K-E-L-L-I-N-G-T-O-R. I will leave the link in the show notes as well. Now, I will get back to playing the game for the next episode. You're going to be taken aback when you learn about it. And that does it for this episode of Controller Disconnected. Thank you very much for listening, and sorry for the delay. Please leave us a kind review on Apple Podcasts and Podchaser. You can find a link to that in the show notes. You can subscribe for free, and listen to future episodes of the show on your favorite podcast platform of choice. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at the handle at Condisconnected. If you really like listening to the podcast, please consider supporting with a couple of bucks at patreon.com condisconnected. And last but not least, please share this episode with someone you know. Word of mouth really goes a long way to helping us grow. Once again, thank you for listening. I am Matthias Carnero, and I will talk to you soon.